This week's Game of Thrones feedback show is sponsored by our friends over at True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories, like that ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, that luxury package you got after the big promotion, or the mileage you save by riding your bike all summer long. Now, while you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell it or to trade it in. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions, navigation and moon roof watch as they bump up your car's value high mileage you already knew it was going to cost you but now you know how much it's going to ding your wallet so you can plan ahead and once you're finished you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes which you could take to a local certified dealer to cash out or to trade in so when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car check out true car today true cash offer not available in all areas The long night is over, but we are just getting started answering your feedback on the Game of Thrones feedback show here on Post Show Recaps. And now here are the two guys who are going to sneak attack you out of nowhere with answering all the feedback. I am Rob Sister here with Josh Wiggler. Oh, the long night. <laughs> is this Waldo? <laughs> yes. Final yes. season, episode three. That raven has ice numbering Josh, three. What do you think? Is, is winter over now? No, winter's still happening, right? I mean, yeah. like, I don't think that the White Walkers were responsible for... Yeah, I think the- winter's over. That's my hot take. That is, that's my one oh, man. take. That I think winter is going to be over on Game of Thrones. I, I don't think we see it snow again. Or it's going to just be a very short winter. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I still think that we have to see snow in King's Landing. Like, I still think that that Daenerys uh, prophecy from the House of the Undying... Uh, I still feel like we will see some version of that, like a hole ripped through the red keep snow pouring in, I think is certainly certainly possible. I think that winter could still be coming, even if Mondo spoiler alert for those who have gotten this far and haven't watched the episode, even if the White Walkers are dead which still feels like a crazy thing to say out loud insane we flirted with the possibility last week on the feedback show though so you know not completely out of nowhere yeah all right so let's just uh set the table here a la the first two episodes of this season for where we are right now because uh, josh wiggler and i have not gotten a chance to uh speak yet about the big Game of Thrones, the Battle of Winterfell. Steven and I got into it all on the Snow It Alls live after the episode. Had a lot of fun Sunday night going through all of it. Josh Steven is, uh, I love listening to Steven talk about Game of Thrones, by the way. Not that I don't love listening to you talk about Game of Thrones, but we've been doing this for years. Uh, hearing Fishback's takes, he's, he's very funny when he's talking about Game of yeah. Thrones. Good, uh, a great podcast, the Snow It Alls. It's great. I, lo- I love podcasting uh, Game of Thrones with Stephen Fishback. Uh, it's great. It's very, he's very fun. Very fun. Yes. Yes. Uh, he's loosey goosey, unlike on uh, Survivor Know It All. Uh, Too buttoned up. Too buttoned, buttoned up. up. Okay. Yeah. But Josh Wiggler has been hard at work over at uh, THR, the Hollywood Reporter, THR.com slash uh, Game of Thrones, filing away a million stories. 
I don't know what the number is, but it's a lot. It's mm-hmm. a lot. And a lot of interviews this week, too. Uh, it's, you know, it's, we, you know, contrary to, to what the Internet will tell you, people did die this week mm-hmm. uh, on, on Game of Thrones. So I've been catching up with some of the actors who are no longer a part of the show. That includes Vladimir Furtick, the stuntman who is responsible for bringing the Night King to life. I interviewed the Night King yesterday, Ooh, Rob. Yes. How uh, was that? It was it was very funny. He's uh, he, English is not his first language, so there was a little bit of a communications right. struggle uh, <laughs> throughout much of it uh, that results in a fairly. I think it reads a lot more tersely than it happened on the phone. Uh, but if you're looking for somebody who is going to give you tremendous insight into the Night King's character and his motivations and his goals and what he wanted and what his secret agendas were, this is is not the interview for you. Mm. Uh, he really he really could not give much of a care about what the Night King was all about. He's a very mission-oriented guy, Vladimir Furtick. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think I think a fun read. Uh, I recommend reading it because I think to to get into the mind of the guy who is playing the scariest force in Westeros until he no longer was, uh, I think is a it's a it's an entertaining ride. I recommend it. Okay, so be sure to check out everything that Josh is doing, THR.com slash Game of Thrones or follow at Round Howard on Twitter. But we have uh, so much feedback from the listeners of uh, this podcast. Everybody's waiting for us to get into it. Josh, this has been a week where so many think pieces have been uh, written about this episode. Uh, yeah. So much so so much discourse uh, just about this episode, about what did it mean? People are obsessed with this episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, well, I think you know, a, a few things. Uh, first of all, it was, it, it was the long night and emphasis both on the long part and the night part uh, where it was a very long episode of Game of Thrones, 82 minutes. It's the longest episode in Game of Thrones history. And it was dark. It was a very dark episode, both in content of the story and in terms of and the, the contrast. St- yeah, the struggle to see it. Uh, and that is my big complaint about the episode is I I think that they could have done some color correcting. They could have done some brightness adjustments. You've seen a lot of screenshots from the episode that have been posted online since where people took their, uh, you know, people doing like their armchair color correcting, Mm -hmm. I think did a better job than maybe the show itself did. Though that was my first reaction was it was just very hard to see. And when I was watching it at the first pass, I was working really hard, obviously, to take notes and keep track of what's going on. I got to write a bajillion articles about it and I just need to know the facts, ma'am. And when I when I went back and I watched it a second time, um, maybe it was because I just wasn't typing a thousand words a minute. But it was clearer to me. It was easier to track. Maybe it's because I knew what had happened, at least uh, pretty close uh, to to the detail. Um, Certainly, uh, you know the bigger points of who died and who didn't. Uh, So maybe I was able just to relax a little bit more on watching it. But I think it also didn't help that this episode was so hyped up, uh, both by the production, you know, talking about this being a battle sequence that was going to put Helm's Deep to shame from the Two Towers, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also so much is invested in this moment from a viewer perspective where we've been trained to fear the White Walkers for so long and we've been, you know, thinking about this threat it has been such a massive part of Game of Thrones for so many years since the very beginning that there's just an, an 
unbelievably impossible to exceed expectation level because the bar is so high that I think that there was really almost no way that this episode wasn't going to land with some measure of disappointment for some uh, at least vocal minority of the fandom, if not a vocal majority. It's hard for me to tell Uh, where I land on it is. I think that the outcome of it really surprised me. Uh, I allowed myself the possibility last week to think about what would be the most unexpected outcome for the forces of the living going up against the forces of the dead. And for me, that was the forces of the living prevailing and defeating the forces of the dead. But I couldn't even really fully sell myself on that actually happening. But that's what happened, which was surprising. And in that in that way, very Game of Thrones, you know, Game of Thrones often uh, zigs where you expect it to zag, and it very much zigged this week. Uh, Rick on uh, Stark rolling in his grave right now oh, as we're talking about zigging and zagging too, too soon. soon. Um, so, so for me, I'm I'm still I'm still chewing on it a little bit. I think I'm I'm too close to to the show as far as like. I'm being in the trenches trying to light my way through here and I'm trying yeah. to write I'm trying to write about the trenches let alone light them that I think for me I am finding myself having a little bit of trouble uh enjoying the Game of Thrones final season experience and it is like the mo- it is it is the the highest class problem that you could possibly have yeah. uh but it, it's it's hard for me to say like did I, did I like it was it was it the right move I'm still I'm still meditating on it I'm you know I'm still I'm still I'm still thinking through a lot of the stuff, but I, I think that there's there's a lot to enjoy in this episode. And I'm very excited about what it means for the final season that this happened so early on in the final season. Yeah. In terms of the issue with uh, it being too dark, you, so you know, dark. I, 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 I get that. But I, I do think that part of it, you know, this was I have to say that I think it's by design and maybe it's, uh, you know, we're complaining about, oh, we couldn't see it. But this was really the, the this was a battle between the Lord of Light and their forces and the literal, literal night king the yeah. forces of darkness and uh, i i do think that this is uh you know there was b- by design that we were you know given the perspective of these people who like the you know the dothraki who were then thrust who just had to go blindly like into the darkness with uh just the light of their swords to guide them and then those light being extinguished uh, i think that that was part of like giving you into the the, the feel of what was going on where you know that uh terrible things are coming and it was very hard to see for the actual for the for the actual characters i don't know how you necessarily uh can light that better where you know you are being you know uh you know surrounded by darkness yeah but i i think and, and i get that and i certainly have no issue with the concept of the of the entire episode taking place at night and being this one really long awful night i think that that's totally fine but i still think that you can convey that and convey the sense of being swept up in it while making it a little bit easier to see yeah. and 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 what i what i what i think about as a kind of like a point of comparison it, it's actually it's it's a similarly titled uh piece of pop culture 
Punisher, though the problem is for a different sense, and that is The Dark Knight Rises, the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy ender, uh, which is I'm, I'm thinking about how 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 hard it was to understand a freaking thing that Bane had to say. And it's because he has this mask on and you can't see his mouth moving and there's like some voice modulation that's going on Just. with Tom Hardy as Bane. Yeah, you know, it's the stuff of podcasting Where gold. Is but you know, I think it it was I remember especially when when uh when there was like the first 15 minutes or so that would like it was uh they were showing like previews of it at IMAX screenings and people walked up being like I thought that looked really cool and I couldn't understand a freaking thing that Bane was saying and they corrected it a little bit but it was clearly like a stylistic choice that was made that Bane was going to be hard to hear and I appreciate the thought behind it but I think that doesn't mean that you have to not knock the execution like I get I get the concept yeah. it executed poorly and I, I, I feel similarly about the lighting issue here certainly you know the cinematographer who's coming out and saying it's not our problem. It's your problem is sort of a, a ridiculous yeah. take. It's a bad take. Um, it's a bad take. Yeah, it's a bad take. It's a bad um, take. You know what I really struggled with was with the dragon flying. Uh, that there were times where it was like uh, I didn't know which dragon was was which, and and uh, like uh, like oh, is it the Night King just bumped into Daenerys? Oh wait, that, I think that's Jon Snow's dragon. Uh, right. The, 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 that was uh, a little confusing for me. Well, that I think and I think that that's the problem is I, I think from a, a storytelling perspective, there's going to be people who are going to have knocks against this episode uh, for in terms of like the outcome and how certain individual beats played. And there's certainly things that I wish that they had done differently. Not really the major, major strokes. Like I'll just say now, I, I love the Aria twist. I think that's a, I think it's it's really well earned and I think it's really surprising and I think it's really, really smart. Um, but I, I think like you've been waiting for so long to see a dragon battle. You've been waiting for so so long to see John and Daenerys against the Night King. We've been waiting for, you know, a year and a half at this point to see something like that play out. And you look at some of the like the color corrected shots of these people like above the clouds and the, the moonlight in the background. And it's so freaking epic. Or you see like the dragon fire scorching the field with the huge like fog of snow in the background. And it is stunning. Like these are paintings come to life. Uh, and it's just a little hard to track in the watching of the episode. And I, I I think that that is the bummer that I think that there's a lot of really choice material here that they just chose to convey in this very dark way. Um, I, I I think that that's that's my biggest my biggest knock against the episode. And I, I think that that's that's something that maybe like future releases can can fix. But I, I think also just so much expectation baked into the episode, too, that is uh, going to be uh, messing with with people's perspectives, you know, whether you want to say like unfairly or fairly is certainly a matter of taste. Okay. Um, well, let's yeah. let's get off of the uh, the actual lighting of yes. the episode and uh, let's uh, touch on something that you mentioned: the big Arya twist. Arya being the Stark who ends up killing the Night King. You said you uh, really uh, liked it, so I'd love to hear uh, more about your thoughts on that. 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's just let's start digging into into the feedback a little bit. This was something that was written into us by Trisha. Trisha wrote in and said, although it was unexpected, at least by me, after a few minutes of thinking about it, Arya killing the Night King does make sense for her whole journey toward becoming a skilled warrior and answers the Hound's question of why he was alive when so many better people were dead. It was to save her. I like it more and more. Wouldn't have been predictable and expected for Jon Snow to be the one to take out the Night King. Was he cheated given their history? What do you think? Uh, and I think that this is sort of one of the one of the big points of contention about the way that the Night King goes out, that it's Arya who kills the Night King. It's not Jon Snow. The story had been uh, seemingly building towards the fulfillment of Jon Snow's hero journey, that his destiny was to take out the Night King. He is the one at the forefront of the war versus the living versus the dead. Arya is just showing up basically to this war as, uh, you know, as early as season seven. Maybe uh, really this season is where it's really pinging on her radar. Season seven, she's really stuck with uh, all the drama surrounding her and Sansa. And this is the year where she's starting to turn her sights to the army of the dead. But I like it. I do. I think that it was it was very predictable that you would imagine some sort of big final battle between John and the Night King. And maybe that would have been incredibly satisfying in its own right. But I think that this is the culmination of Arya's arc in a lot of ways, or at least it's a huge notch uh, in on Arya's belt. I still think that there's plenty more story to be told with her. Um, but her whole thing from the very beginning is she's been training to become the deadliest killer in the entire story. So who is more qualified to kill the deadliest character on the show than the deadliest character on the show? So that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think when you when you look back on Arya's story, there is uh, there's a lot of material along the way that supports Arya being the one to to kill uh, truly the god of death. This is the god of death. That's one of the first things that is ever said about Arya Stark. Uh, what do we say to the god of death? Not today. And we get that incredible callback in this episode. Uh, in fact, it's something you and I had meditated on as as uh, as recently as 2017 at the very least, Rob. Yes. Uh, full credit to a listener named Casey who who put this, and not Casey Kasem, uh, who brought this to my attention. But this this listener, Casey, has been going back and listening to our our winter was here podcasts uh, and and alerted me to the fact that we we may or may not have like lightly called our shot on this Arya Stark moment from this past episode. So if we can if we actually if if you'd like, I think we could we could pull in some audio from our podcast from the, the season one, episode six recap of Game of Thrones talking about a golden crown. There is a moment from that discussion around the 25 ish minute mark of that podcast that I think is is relevant to our purposes today. Then. Josh, I wanted to ask you something about Sirio Pharrell in this episode. Uh, we get to see him with Arya, and Arya is troubled as she is getting ready for her water dancing lesson. Sirio tells her to forget about her troubles. Trouble is the perfect time for training because uh, the fighting you, when you're when you're fighting, you often have trouble, so you can't let the trouble distract you. But he said something to Arya which maybe I thought could add some fuel to the Serio is Jake and Hagar fire. Ah. Oh God. Okay. Let's do it. Let's go down that rabbit hole. Okay. Let's just talk about this real quick. 
Uh, here's what Cyril Pharrell says about the only true God. Do you pray to the gods? The old and the new. There is only one God, and his name is Death. Now, okay, now that we've uh, poo-pooed this theory in the past, I do think it's very interesting that uh, Jack and Hagar and also Sarah Farrell both talk about the same idea of the only God being this many-faced God, the God of Death. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you want to connect that in that way, I think you certainly can. Um, I choose not to. Uh, I think, you know, Cereal Pharrell is of Bravos as well, you know, and Jagan Hagar is based in Bravos. And I don't think it's such a stretch to imagine that Cereal has brushed up against the House of Black and White before, or if the, if the God being death, if that is a, a more common belief system in Bravos, perhaps I haven't brushed up on my Bravo, my Bravosi culture, uh, my religion. Religious studies in Bravos recently, um, but I, I don't think that that is such a leap. That that is where that idea is coming from. That being said, I did feel like this was kind of an interesting scene in light of some things that we have seen in as recently as season seven of Game of Thrones. Um, you know, we've been talking a little bit recently about like. Who's going to die at the end of this thing? Like, who are the main characters that we could still reasonably lose by the end of Game of Thrones? Like, the main, main people. Um, you know, what could really shock us? What could really break our hearts? And we've talked a lot about, and credit to Stephen Fishback, I think, Whoa. in terms of us as podcasters on the Game of Thrones beat here on Post Show Recaps, uh, as the guy who really championed that idea. But I think Arya Stark being the still surviving Stark to be the one who gets taken off of the board um i i'm starting to see it more and more just because i feel like where does aria ultimately go what is her future like is the nymeria thing supposed to represent that there's really no such thing as going home for someone like aria after everything that she has been through and seen and endured uh and if you're looking at it through that lens uh and you also bear in mind and we encountered this line in i think it was last week's episode the whole that's not me uh that that line that aria says to her father gets echoed later on in season seven when aria says to nymeria that's not you as the dire wolf runs away from her clearly has a long memory of quotes from her childhood and what do we say to the god of death what do we say to death uh there's only one thing and this is going to be Sirio pharrell's final words i believe as well in just a, a little while from now not today could that eventually be a line that comes back in the future of Game of Thrones? If Arya Stark does die at some point in the future of the show with six episodes left to go, would you take the odds that her final words would be not today? Hmm. But if she's dying, would that not be that she's dying today? So maybe she just says today. today. Yeah, I guess today. I guess today. I don't know. I'm not 100% sold on Arya dying. I'm still holding out hope that I think that Arya and Gendry end up together. 
Look at that. I oh. think it would be, I mean, look, that would be nice. I think it would be really cool as well if there is like some final moment and there's some final battle and Arya is now playing the role of Sirio Pharrell, not literally, uh, and is protecting like Sansa or protecting somebody else and telling uh, this person that she's protecting to like go run for safety and Arya is about to charge into like overwhelming odds and Sansa or whoever is like, no, Arya, you can't go. And Arya is like, well, what do you say to death? Mm-hmm. Not today. And then she charges off towards some sort of enigmatic fate, I feel like would be would be a really cool callback. So I don't know. I'm planting my flag right here. I think we're going to see a scene in the future of Game of Thrones at the very least where Arya has a badass moment uh, where she says not today, calling the words of her first warrior mentor. And maybe she dies. Maybe she doesn't. But I think that that's a line that we're going to get a callback to from Arya. Okay. How about, right. that? Wow. How about that? How about that? So there's the, the this, Lord of Light uh, bestowed <laughs> upon you. Yeah, but the Lord of Light also bestowed upon you because you were saying like, oh, I still think that Arya and Gendry are going to be a thing. And then if you uh, continue listening to that old clip, I'm like, yeah, we're never going to see that. Like, I think <laughs> like maybe we'll see them together in some sort of happily ever after, but we'll never see them do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so the Lord of Light giveth, the Lord of Light taketh away. Okay. Uh, but but I think if you if you go back, but if you want to hear more of uh, that. Or- or any anything else uh, that's part of our uh, Game of Thrones uh, rewatch that was from October 17, 2017, uh, season one, episode uh, six rewatch. Yeah, I, I think the point is, is that when you when you go back and you follow the Arya Stark storyline, knowing now that it at least uh, includes, if not mostly builds to the fact that she is going to be the one who takes on the God of Death. I think that that's where Arya's story has been has been going in a lot of different ways. Like, I, I think that that it makes a lot of sense to me. It's not what we were looking at. But it makes a lot of sense to me. It tracks pretty well for me. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, the fact that it calls back the cat's paw dagger, this thing, you know, this item of death that really in a lot of ways fueled a lot of the political intrigue in Game of Thrones, that this weapon was meant to kill Bran. It didn't kill Bran. Bran is the one who passes this weapon back to Arya. Mm-hmm. Arya is able to end the Great War using this weapon. I just think that there's a lot there that is uh, that's that's really fun. I, I I was surprised by it and delighted by it. I think it's a, I think it's a, a well earned plot twist. So I agree. So I thought that the Arya stuff was uh, really cool. There's a lot of stuff that is earned and uh, you know and and great callbacks and uh, things from the you know that really track throughout the series. So on the Aria front, uh, I'm, uh, I'm I'm very happy with all this. It was a little bit out of nowhere, a little bit, of, you know, uh, that uh, I mean, it was sort of just, um, you know, I, I don't understand how she got past everybody, but I'm not going to get. Yeah, uh, but what, I mean, there's a whole there's like a there's like a an eight minute sequence devoted to Arya sneaking around yeah. a library and going undetected sure, by all of these. Whites, sure. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and uh, I thought that it really spoke to the hubris of the, the Night King, where I, I sort of imagine him right before the whole thing with Bran that he just like got a hold of everybody in the you know White Walker WhatsApp group like alright guys you know <laughs> this is going to be my big moment and I just want everybody to be there when I finally kill Bran I've been waiting for this forever so just like everybody better be there and paying attention this is my big moment yeah. and so everybody gather around and I need an audience for this okay 
that he needed every single white walker there to be watching what was going to happen yeah the arrogant never see it coming i've yeah. heard that said he was recently. monologuing he was, mon- he was he, monologuing. He monologuing yeah and then uh so my big question with all this is what does this mean for Jon snow so sure. okay great and the, the aria arc is perfect okay everything tracks for aria but even we go back to oh the reason why the lord of light brought that beric dondarian was because he needed to help aria get there and that's why the the you know the lord of light uh wouldn't let the hound die because he had to protect aria but why did john snow come back from being dead uh, to ju- to take back Winterfell so right. Arya could get back to the, her ancestral home. What is the point of Jon Snow? D- and, and did we uh, basically, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul here? Where did we just go all in on Arya at the expense of Jon Snow's arc? Yeah, I, I mean, I wonder about this as well. And I think uh, like the, the through line that you can see is what you outlined, that Jon Snow had to come back to life so that he could retake Winterfell so that he could go really? and so he could, Sansa fi- could retake Winterfell. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that he could, you know, he could be part of that and he could, le- you know, he could be the king in the north that everybody rallies behind so that he could go out and he could recruit Daenerys. Mm-hmm. And so that all of these things that needed to happen so that they could happen so that Arya could be in the right place at the right time is one way to look at it there's also questions about what is his destiny moving forward we had a question about that from mm-hmm. matt goodman who wrote in and said the moments when when characters i love embrace their destiny have been moving to me this season such as jamie knighting brienne or jorah defending danny and i always thought john's destiny was dying while killing the night king and through that sacrifice and the love people have for him westeros would find peace now how do you hope john embraces his destiny we've got three episodes to find out uh you know we've got three episodes to answer that question uh and i'd love to talk through what those possibilities could be but the but the other piece of it just to just to you know to devil's advocate it out a little bit more um and i really don't know which devil i'm advocating for perhaps that's the wrong turn of phrase is spoiler alert mildly i guess for the for the books if you you know we're well past the scope of the books at this point in the show um but the last thing that george r R. martin left us with with john snow in his most recently published book in the a song of ice and fire series on which this is based john snow is killed uh or at least gravely injured by the members of the night's watch we're we're left with that betrayal and we have no idea what George R. R. Martin has in mind for that character moving forward. We may never find out. Um, but in that version of events, there's also no such thing as a Night King, at least not yet. I mean, there's a Night King of myth, uh, but not associated with being like the King of the White Walkers or anything like that. Uh, there is, as far as we know from this, the perspective of the books, there is no like main overall White Walker bad guy. Uh, certainly not one that Arya Stark has been like predestined to to kill. Uh, nothing like that has has shaken out. So I think for me. One of the things that this is showing and and really demonstrating is from the from the book fan perspective, 
there was always a lot of fear that Game of Thrones was going to spoil the ending of A Song of Ice and Fire. And I think in some kind of looser, broader ways, it will, where I think what we are being left with now is the idea that the White Walker War isn't the end all be all, that there are more threats to be concerned with past the the Night King or past the White Walker of it all. There's everything happening in Cersei's world and King's Landing and this race for the throne that is likely going to tear apart the peace that has been forged between all of these disparate people. Maybe not everybody, but a lot of different people. And Jon Snow's fate is probably wrapped up in this thing that he never wanted and never considered. And in its own way, that's a great tragedy for this guy. But I think that the way that it's going to play out in the book versus the way it's going to play out on the show is going to be markedly, markedly different. And David Benioff and Dan Weiss have talked about how they are doing things here in the ending of their show that will be very different from what we will see whenever, if ever, George R. R. Martin finishes his story. And I think a lot of this, like this climactic battle between John and this horrible villain uh, on the White Walker side of the line that is actually going to be ended by Arya Stark. I feel like that is going to be one of the big major detail changes between the two mediums. Um, so, yeah, that's a lot of word soup okay. as I want to do. All right. Uh, did Jon Snow learn about his true lineage and uh, find out about his actual highborn status only to be bastardized by the plot of the show. I don't know. I mean, I think that that could be, I think that this direction could be a direction that the book will go in as well, where John, who's going to have like, no interest in this. You know, he's going to have no interest in the Iron Throne, except insofar as other people might be invested in it. Like, you know, the people that he cares about, Samuel Tarly, uh, maybe Bran, although who, who knows what Bran's going to want and what he's going to do. But Sansa, the North, if they find out about his claim, they're really going to push for him to to go and, and seek it out. And it's this thing that John doesn't want it's something he never considered it's something he never wanted uh that the that the answer to where he comes from is uh you know it's it's like the happily ever after in so many other different fairy tales but for john it's an undead dragon staring him in the face barking blue fire and i think that that moment here in this episode in the long night is actually really compelling from that perspective where john is trying to fulfill what he thought was his destiny he thought his destiny was to fight the great war to kill the night king to stop this to do everything to die trying if he had to and instead he's pinned down in the courtyard of winterfell and he can't get to where he wants to go he can't get to his purpose he can't get to his destiny he is faced down with this mutilated monstrous ice and fire monster right like he is looking mm -hmm. at this at this disgusting the scorching ice and fire is viserion I mean, in, in a way like this moment kind of is that uh, where he he thought that he had this different thing that he had to do. And instead, he's looking into like the horrible, twisted, metaphorical face of who he really is, that he is this person that is both Stark and Targaryen. And he is this person who by Westerosi rights 
has a claim to the Iron Throne and it's this thing he doesn't want. And it's as unsatisfying for him, if not more so than it is for the audience. So I actually thought that there was a lot baked into that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we had uh, we had a, a write in from Inessa who wrote in and said, I wish that they had had the ice dragon torch Jon Snow and had him withstand the ice just as the Night King withstood the fire. And then upon realizing he's immune, Jon could have charged the dragon with his Valyrian steel and stabbed it right into the roof of its mouth, slaying it. Uh, I wish this was done right before Arya killed the Night King. It would have given Jon more meaning to his story, and it would have been a cute nod to a song of ice and fire. Uh, and I, I hear that, and like I get this instinct. There's a lot of people doing a lot of mental logistics to try and give Jon a little bit more of a role in killing the Night King in this episode. There's like this popular theory around right now that Jon saw Arya in the courtyard of Winterfell and stood up against the dragon to distract the dragon so Arya can go to the godswood. I am I could not be a harder thumbs down on that. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think there is any chance that that happened. It would have been a lot more um it would have been a lot more obvious in the show and I think that the frustration about John is supposed to echo uh, his own frustration. I think we're supposed to feel that. Uh, and I think that that, for me, is what that John versus the Ice Dragon moment represented and captured, I think, pretty effectively. So Stephen brought this up on the Snow It Alls. You know, that was a really good question. I haven't seen a lot of this, but Josh, what do you think? Is Arya Stark Azor on High the princess who was promised? I don't think that the show gives, excuse my language, any kind of shit about Azor Ahai. I really don't. I, I don't think that the I don't think that the prophecy stuff that really does matter so much in A Song of Ice and Fire. It came up I, on the show, though, uh, back in Marine, where uh, Danny meets with a, a red priestess. Yeah, but I don't think that they they have not done the legwork to really go into it. Like they've dropped it a little bit, but I think that ultimately they don't care. And maybe that's a maybe that's a valid knock against the show. Um, You know, I think it probably it probably is a, a mixture of that. And also, I think a lot of expectations from the book reading crowd because the show has adapted so many things so perfectly. But it has really always been kind of loosey goosey with the prophecy stuff. It has kind of always dropped the ball on a lot of the prophecy stuff. The House of the Undying sequence is completely different on the show versus what it is in the book. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, if Arya, if you want to say Arya is the princess who has promised, I've got no problem with that. I don't I don't know that the show is really going to go there in any kind of more meaningful way than what we've got to to throw it to, to your friend in mind. Uh, the great Umberto uh, wrote in with with a comment that I think resonates with me after watching this episode. Uh, Humby says, is it possible that the show is called Game of Thrones because it's about the throne after all to the bitter end? A Song of Ice and Fire is George's series. Hence, it would make more sense for him to have that at the end. But the HBO show has always been about the politics of it all. Uh, and I think that, you know, the title, it's maybe a little snappier and a little catchier Game of Thrones. And that is a big reason why the show is called Game of Thrones and not A Song of Ice and Fire. But I think maybe it is instructive in terms of what the show cares about versus what the books cares about. It cares less about that kind of undead frozen, you know, prophecy and a lot more about what is the human political cost of being involved in these these like great wars for the for the nature of humanity. 
Do you feel like that the books, should they ever be finished, will transpose the order of events in terms of what, what order the threats are dealt with? Because I can't imagine that would be the I case. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I think that the way that like the threats manifest themselves will be will be very different. Uh, Geek Furious on on Twitter had a great comment about how um, there isn't you know, there isn't a Night King in the books and a lot of the stuff that the Night King has been doing on the show. Uh, a lot of the book reading crowd, Geek Fury has brought this up, uh, think that a lot of that material is actually going to belong to Euron Greyjoy in the books, who is a much infinitely scarier, better character in the book than he is on the show, with all due respect to the actor. Uh, and I, I tend to, to believe that. I tend to believe that the details between um, the way that these two wars are going to take place from book to show are going to be very different. But I think that the order in which it takes place, like a resolution of the White Walker threat followed by the resolution of the political threat, that makes sense to me, especially insofar as the the buzzword that George R. R. Martin has used to describe the ending he has in mind being bittersweet. Uh, so the sweet part is what we just got. This is what happens when all these unlikely human beings put aside all of these horrible things that they have done to each other to get to the point where they are right now to team together and save the world and actually problem solve and think beyond their personal grudges and their bullshit with each other to fight and face down death incarnate. They can win if they can put all of that aside. And then I think that the rest of the show and I think what will what would follow in the remainder of the books after the triumph over the White Walkers is the bitter part where it's like that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, human beings as a species were still pretty terrible and our petty ambitions will cost us. Uh, and there may be a happy ending on the other side of that. But right now I am a little bit more on the edge of my seat in terms of like, could Cersei Lannister stay on the Iron Throne at the end of this show? I think that's likelier right now for me than it's ever been. Uh, or at the very least, could the the conquest of the Iron Throne, will it be a very sour, disappointing note for however it plays out? Will it, will it cost so much? Will so much of the good work that was done in defeating the White Walkers be undone in this pursuit for power? I think that that is very much what the point ultimately of both Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire will likely be okay all right before we get into some more feedback let me take a moment and thank one of our sponsors and those are our friends over at blue diamond almonds josh if you're one of the many people watching game of thrones you must also be tired of the same boring snacks well let me tell you winter is here for now and so is the perfect snack blue diamond almonds whether you're going to work if you're bored at work leaving work commuting home almonds are the perfect snack honey roasted flavored almonds sriracha flavored almonds and wasabi and soy sauce flavored almonds we have your attention why keep snacking on boring chips when you can go to the store and pick up blue diamond almonds uh, right now and the best thing about blue diamond almonds that uh, you don't even even if you have watching a very dark episode of game of thrones so dark that the, so dark the almonds are so interesting you're not you're not going to lose track of where they are on uh, on your table on your lap you've got in those almonds yes in the cribs <laughs> you've got those almonds ready to go and uh even if even if the screen is dark you can't really see what's going on you say hey look 
Not so bad. I've still got my blue diamond almonds. Whatever the moment, blue diamond almonds, perfect snack. Don't deny your cravings. Go pick up some great flavors right now and eat them. Blue diamond almonds crave victoriously. Okay, Josh, where are we going next? Uh, well, I, this is a knock against uh, the way that the fight played out that I'm, I'm fully on board with. Like, I don't want to come off as just like fully defending the episode. There's definitely stuff that annoyed the shit out of me. Okay. And, this, and this was one of them. This is Jack from Maryland uh, who wrote in and said, was anyone else disappointed that we didn't get to see a single White Walker fight anyone? I feel like we've been tracking Valyrian steel weapons for no reason this whole time. I thought both sides didn't use their best, best weapons in an effective manner. Um, um, so I'm I'm less annoyed that there wasn't like a, a big Jon Snow versus the Night King moment, because I think that there's a lot of uh, potentially rich thematic resonance to why that plays out unsatisfyingly for Jon. And I think that that can all be stuff that is is still to be explored. But how dare they kill Jorah Mormont after they give him heart's bane only to get like stabbed by like 10 different zombies, like whatever zombies when they have a dozen white walkers who don't do a thing and they get killed by Valyrian still like, that's the whole reason why you get these Valyrian swords in one place so you can kill the freaking white walkers. How is there not an action scene with Jorah Mormont versus like four different white walkers at once or Brienne of Tarth versus three different white walkers at once. I, I already have told you this, Josh. The Night King is an egomaniac, and he, so had, annoying. he made all of the White Walkers watch him. Then, uh, t- uh, whatever he was mind meld with Bran, whatever he was going to do, he wanted to make sure, uh, guys, I need all the White Walkers. At, he doesn't sound like at, that. At 2, 2 a.m., we're going to be in the Godswood, and that's when I'm going to make my big, my big moment. So it's a, don't it's a miss thicker, it. thicker Czech accent is what you want to <laughs> want to bring into it. Nope, for sure. <laughs> That's a, that was what the Night King said, uh, and so that it only left all of the you know the the foot soldiers yeah. out there to go and fight Jorah. Yeah, it's a little more Borat, is what you want to. <laughs> My whites. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like that. It's an eighty-two minute episode. And there isn't a single White Walker fight. That's more of an issue for me than the Night King just getting dropped by the deadliest human character on the show. Like, I'm fine with that. But you've got like a dozen White Walkers that you could be sending out to people. And we didn't, didn't get a single one. Mm. All these Valyrian swords in the mix. What was the, what was the point? What was the point of Heartsbane? Just well, come I on. Mean, the, you know, uh, Valyrian steel sword still, you know, kill the regular whites. I guess. That's fine. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, this is a great observation uh, that uh, Sir Brendan of House Fitzy, who's been patrolling a lot of this feedback, uh, alerted us to in the in the RHAP patron Facebook group. Uh, this is from Elizabeth that uh, speaks to uh, the death of not just one character, but a swath of nameless characters. The Dothraki, uh, once again, to call back to something from earlier in the series and something you and I chewed upon in a in a podcast 
podcast long, long ago, Rob. Uh, this is a quote from Jorah Mormont in season one that Elizabeth brought back up. In the Shadowlands beyond Ashai, they say there are fields of ghost grass with stalks as pale as milk that glow in the night and murder all other grass. The Dothraki believe that one day it'll cover everything, and that's the way the world will end. How sad is that quote in retrospect, considering that the like entire Dothraki basically are now extinct because they just got, you know, totally chumped by all of these, you know, snowy zombies. Yeah, in hindsight, uh, the Dothraki I, I think made a calculated error in uh, following uh, Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, the Khaleesi uh, really led them astray. Yeah, yeah, she really did. It was a it was a bad it was a bad gamble on their part. I'm sure, like maybe like there's you know you know pockets of Dothraki still out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe in Essos, maybe a few of them made it through this battle, but. It's right. not great. No Dothraki ever followed uh, Daenerys Targaryen and uh, lived to tell a happy story about it. <laughs> no main Dothraki at the very least. I, uh, I mean, name pick, pick I one. Can. I can't. <laughs> They've all. I mean, yeah. even, you know, the first wave. OK, you know, she got them out of the red waste and then uh, the, the whole car thing that we don't talk about. That that really wasn't her fault. No. Uh, but, you know, she, they brought the, these Dothraki. They, they had. Yeah. Yes. They took out the Lannister army in uh, the, you know, uh, the big battle last season, uh, the loot train. Uh, so that was good. Yeah, that was fine. That was good, but they still, you know, the Lannister still got all that Tyrell money. So really, really ultimately, uh, other than proving a point, you know, getting uh, getting Cersei to the armistice, don't really know what they proved out there. There's an exciting scene to see, like all those flaming swords just go out in the horizon. That was cool. I really liked yeah. that. Uh, yeah. But I mean, obviously, at the expense of uh, just like the entire Dothraki being deemed completely expendable at that point. But I, I would expect that there are narrative reasons why the show wants Daenerys's army to have gotten really severely dinged up in this whole struggle for the White Walkers. And the fact that she's like been rejected so hard by some of the really important main characters like Sam and Sansa. And now she's going to feel like very raw, likely feel very raw about Jon Snow's claim to the Iron Throne and all of that. And she, you know, all of that is mixed in with the fact that now the Dothraki army has been completely all but sacrificed in the name and the service of this fight. Uh, Jorah Mormont is dead, like the person who was her ride or die from the very beginning. She's left with her Mm. closest advisor now is Tyrion, who she has shown. She has like middling faith in at the very best right now. Um, Missandei and Grey Worm are probably still pretty loyal to Daenerys, except for the fact that they are more loyal to each other. They're already fantasizing about where they're going to go when they're done with this. And who knows how many Unsullied are left. So I think uh, she lost a freaking dragon to this whole thing. Drogon and Rhaegal are still alive, but maybe Rhaegal likes Jon Snow more these days. And at the very least, they lost Viserion to the whole cause. So she has one, maybe two dragons still, and she had three coming into this. So I think that Daenerys is going to be one of these characters. She's going to be like, what was all of this for? What what did I get out of this? Uh, And I, I don't know if that means that she's like, 
full-blown mad queen or is like the ultimate bad guy of game of thrones or anything like that i don't think that other than the house i don't think things are that black and white in game of thrones i think it's a little more complicated than that um but i think that that is with three episodes left and with this war for the throne being the thing that is clearly going to be a much bigger deal moving forward as we as we hop into the end game i think that daenerys being a little off tilt and uh, and dinged up in terms of her numbers uh, and her comfort mm-hmm. uh, taking a real hit through this war, I think it's going to be something that's going to be very, very impactful moving forward. Yeah. Josh, am I crazy to think that that uh, in this final episode of the series, uh, John is going to kill Daenerys or Daenerys is going to kill John? Um, yeah, I, anything's possible. Arya Stark killed the Night King. Everything mm-hmm. is on the table now, you know, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, not everything, but, you know, a lot is on the table. Uh, and it, look, I, I just poo pooed the prophecy stuff. But isn't that part of it? Isn't that part of the double A prophecy of, uh, you know, Azora High putting his sword through the heart of the person he loves the most and then becoming the hero? Uh, there could be some measure of that that could come into play with John and Daenerys. Uh, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's totally off the books. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be completely shocked. I would really want to know how Game of Thrones got there because uh, I, don't, I don't love it. You know, just as I'm like, like, I don't love the mouth feel of John kills Daenerys or Daenerys kills John. It's not my favorite idea. Uh, so I would have to see how how they wrote it. Um, mm-hmm. But there, there may be like a really smart, clever way that they write it. I mean, I feel like that the Cersei threat gets dealt with over these next two episodes. And then I feel like in that final episode, either Daenerys can't live with the fact that Jon has the, you know, the better claim and ultimately has to do something about it. Or or Daenerys ends up sort of uh, too mad with power and Jon has to do something about it. Yeah, well, I, I think that that would that would fit to some degree, this idea of like, look at the remarkable things that we accomplish together when we work together against something that feels completely undefeatable. We can defeat it. And like even that and that's it, it mirrors reality so well, uh, you know, all, all of the things like just think about like the lowest moments of your life and what you were able to conquer when you when you brought people who are like unlikely allies together to overcome a problem uh, like a group project uh, <laughs> and, a, and, a, <laughs> and a horrible deadline. Uh, and then you finish the group project then, then you just go back to a lot of like the bad stuff like that. That happens all the time. It's so cyclical in nature. It's just human nature that I think what you're sketching out with John and Daenerys and that being like, that we're kind of like it, it feels like it feels like we should be in an epilogue at this point. And maybe what we're looking at is kind of like, you know, this sort of three episode epilogue of like, shouldn't this be like we saved the day? We did it, guys. Like, shouldn't we, ha- you know, the way that Tyson always signs off, like, shouldn't we be so happy about that? But no, there's 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 more to come. And, you know, our our ambitions are going to outweigh uh, so much at the end of the day, just as a you know, not as individuals necessarily, but as a as a species. 
species, like it may end up being like a very nihilistic, you know, bitter message about where we are as people. Um, so I think could John and Danny embody that? Absolutely. Uh, could their pursuit or Danny's pursuit, especially of Cersei, result in um, some severe blowback from Cersei and a victory for Cersei? I think that that for me is not completely out of question. I still very much hold on to, if not more so, I still really think that we'll lose Arya Stark. Uh, in these final three episodes, like who am I to say no to the person who just killed the Night King with one really cool parlor trick? Uh, but I feel like her stock has never been higher, both within the story and within the fandom that I think for her to get uh, killed by by Cersei in some capacity, whether directly by Cersei or by Cersei's command or by trying to go up against Cersei and dying for it. I think that that sends a big thematic message of like, look at the things that you can conquer if you really go up against the impossible and look at the things that can crush you if you really underestimate, uh, you know, some of the true evils of the world. Uh, I think that there's a lot of that in play. Like, I, I think that hopefully there will be notes of sweetness still as we move into the to the final stretch of Game of Thrones. But I think that the the victory over the White Walkers is like a real high. And I think that we're in for some Malolo lows. OK, boy. Uh, and if the fan base uh, is uh, not thrilled if after this is the high, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would ex- ride these next three weeks. Yeah, no, I, I would expect um, I would I would expect, you know, I, I think that the the discourse around this episode strongly suggests to me that there will be a very loud group of people in the in the fandom that are going to be really uh, out on the way Game of Thrones ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't know where I'm going to be on that. You know, I really need to see like I, I I don't know that I love the White Walkers losing midway into the final season unless they do some really stellar character and thematic work in the final three episodes, which I think is very possible and likely. Uh, yeah. But if that stuff doesn't happen, then I might be out on the final season of Game of Thrones. I, I, yep. I loved last week's episode uh, and I enjoyed the premiere and there's a lot from this week that i really did enjoy it's also such a complicated episode that in an hour of podcasting we're not going to get to every single bit and i think that there's a lot of threads that you could pull on and it's not a flattering look for game of thrones um but i i think that if this was like the big battle that so many people felt we were building towards for so long and this was the resolution to it and the reaction to it has been what the reaction to it has been I think that there is going to be a vocal contingent of the Game of Thrones audience that is going to be deeply disappointed with the way this show ends. You know what? I, I'm not going to complain about this uh, this week's episode. And look, this is what it is. And I, and I don't know how it, it could have been much different than this. I, I think that the show always had an issue with, uh, you know, the, the Night King was sort of like a cool concept, but he wasn't a character that anybody cared about and when we go back to sort of like uh you know the 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 best battles we talk about like the the loot train why was it interesting there why was blackwater interesting you know there there were people that we were sort of like invested in the stakes for both sides where this was just sort of like you know faceless uh you know uh 
nebulous evil coming and just like, uh, you know, pouring in and our heroes were fighting it. And it looked cool at times from what we could see. But uh, overall, from the emotional standpoint, like they're, they're really there just were not a ton of stakes. We never really got a good feel for what the Night King was up to or what he was all about. And I'm glad the Night King is done. And now we can focus. And we talked about this in terms of uh, looking ahead to the season where I think we talked about this idea about uh, and I think you were the first person that I heard say this about how, well, maybe the Night King gets dealt with before the stuff with Cersei. And And I really like that idea because that when the show is going to focus on its characters, that's where I think they can have a win. And when the show is dealing with mythology and trying to you know uh, answer mysterious things based in its own mythology there's never going to be satisfying answers and it, and it comes down to like we were saying with with all of the, uh, the you know the lost stuff when they try to explain mysteries of the island that's the stuff nobody is satisfied with and when it comes down to characters that you can have satisfying conclusions with that so I, I do think that the show has a chance to pivot away from the mythology of the Night King and now focus on satisfying endings to the stories of its characters that we've watched over these eight seasons. Yeah, I think like one of the things that could have been done differently, frankly, is like more time. You know, the the seven episode seventh season and the six episode final season. Like I think that I think Game of Thrones could have filled out like at least an additional 10 episodes somewhere in here. Like we could have had two standard length final seasons or like three final seasons instead of these truncated seasons seven and eight. But David Benioff and Dan Weiss are super tired and they don't want to be doing this forever. Uh, I think that they could have handed it off to one of the other writers on their staff if that was the case. And I think maybe the show would be a little bit more universally accepted. I think HBO would have continued pouring money into it pretty easily. I don't think that that would have been a problem. Um, so if there's if there's like yeah. kind of like a, an overall knock, that's one of them. But it also would have been better if they had George's material that they could be that they could be working on a little bit more closely. I think when you look at like the early Game of Thrones versus the late Game of Thrones, the earlier stuff tends to be more universally satisfying. That's because they've got a hell of a roadmap to be following. They're having to finish the story on their own terms now, and that's a harder pill to swallow. And they're not as good of writers as George R. R. Martin when he's writing straight mm-hmm. up. Yeah. You know, I, th- I, th- I think that that's part of it. But uh, a lot of what you said, I, I agree with. And I, I think for me, it's really I'm, I'm not mad at where we are. I, I think that where we could be going could be could be really cool. Is, isn't it such a compelling idea? At least it is for me of dealing with a Jon Snow who thought that his destiny probably was the same as what we all thought it was, that he probably is like, I'm going to like, why did I die and come back to life? It's to fight this war. It's to it's to have this incredible battle and to to die trying and to save everybody. And now he has to he has to live beyond that. And he's probably just as much as anyone being like, well, what's the freaking point? What am I supposed to do now? And I'm very interested to see what the answer to that is and what the answer to those kinds of questions are for everybody. And with the aftermath of the White Walker War, um, you know, being, you know, an area that we can really swim in for at least three really long episodes. Uh, I think I think that there could be a lot of really great stuff ahead. It's just going to matter. It's going to depend on as it always does on execution. You know, how, how do they write it? 
uh, we'll, we'll know very, very soon. We'll have a really clear idea of whether or not these final three episodes are going to be, uh, if that juice was, was worth the squeeze or not. Okay. I know this is something that you, uh, get into during these, uh, Game of Thrones, uh, weeks. Have you looked ahead to what we can expect in episode number four? Because I think that we had a good sense of what was coming this week. And I think that next week is uh, a bit more of a question mark for Game of Thrones viewers. No, well, they're, they're very locked up. Up in terms of that kind of information, HBO is this this season, and Benioff and Weiss are, and understandably so. They you know they know that it's being analyzed at a very high level by a lot of different people, uh, both professionally and and not. Uh, and so they you know they're not even releasing episode titles until after the episode ends. Uh, you know th- th- we didn't know it was called The Long Night until The Night King was already dead. Uh, so they're being very very protective. What we do know is it's another long episode. It's an hour and eighteen minutes. So it's four minutes shorter than what we just experienced. It's once again directed by David Nutter, who is the guy who directed the first two episodes of the season. This is the man who brought us the Red Wedding. So this is somebody who is uh, very well versed in those character moments. Uh, We have seen in the preview, we have seen scenes in King's Landing. Uh, So we have seen Cersei Lannister is going to be in this episode, having missed two episodes in a row. I think that there might be something instructive there. We had a lot of people asking us uh, what the point is going to be for like characters like Sansa and Bran now that the action at Winterfell is over like what world does it make mm-hmm. sense where they come down to King's Landing we got that question from Robert Craig we got a version of that question from Spencer Y a lot of different people had written in uh, versions of that question and I think look no further than what we just experienced for the possible answer to that I think it's entirely possible that we will have this episode that will at least partly take place in Winterfell with Sansa with Bran and then maybe we won't see them until the end of the show. Maybe their stories are are close to over already. There's only three episodes left, and this final season only has six episodes, and Cersei Lannister was completely absent from at least two of them. Um, So maybe we don't need to be thinking about so much like, well, how do they bring these characters all down to King's Landing? Maybe the answer is they don't. Maybe the answer is many of these people are already at the basic end of the of the line. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm expecting that we will have an episode that gets us closer to to why we're going to move closer to King's Landing, why there will be, uh, you know, a final conflict between Cersei and Daenerys at the very least, where the Starks will fit into that, where Arya will fit into that, because I, I really feel strongly that Arya's uh, darkest days are still ahead of her. How is the Clegane Bowl going to happen? That is going to happen. Uh, what's the context for something like that? Why is it going to be as satisfying a moment as it hopefully will end up being? Uh, those are the kinds of things I think that hate to say it because people hate the word, but I think that there will be some degree of table setting in this episode to tee us up for whatever we will be getting into in the penultimate and potentially even uh, the finale. Okay. All right. Um, Look, uh, I, I, I don't know how I feel like that. uh, I'm, I'm fine with where we are through three episodes of this uh, final season. I was, I was a product of lower expectations. 
You know, I was pretty I was pretty low on the episode after watching it because it was so dark. I'm I was, you know, I was doing like the the typing thousands of notes a minute thing. I had just gotten out of Avengers Endgame for the third time and man, that was You a went great to see move. it three times? Listen, in my spare time right now, if I can get away from Game of Thrones and fall into another story, I will do that. That is how I will spend my free time and I saw Endgame thrice and I'm looking forward to the day that I can see it a fourth time. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. No podcast coming from me, unfortunately. Uh, maybe maybe we'll see what we can we can work on elsewhere on post show recaps. But I loved it, and I got out of it for the third time and watched this episode two hours later. And I think I just I just wasn't feeling it quite the way that I was I was feeling something totally different. Um, but I watched it again yesterday morning. I watched uh, I watched the long night for the second time, and and I had had more time to kind of think about some of the character deaths we got, like the theme on arc i'm so satisfied with that i love that um i thought the i i i, I mean I, I think that like it was, it was surprising that the episode we we walked into it expecting the worst we expected to lose so many people we loved and that didn't happen and so you're kind of adjusting expectations but on that second pass through i'm a lot more satisfied with the episode and wish i could have seen it a little bit better uh but that's like my chief complaint it's less about like the content of the story and more about the way it was shot, uh, which I think is a valid annoyance. But uh, it leaves me in a place where I'm I'm pretty eager to see what what they're going to do and how they're going to wrap this thing up. Yeah. Forget the Night King. Night King yeah. was a big distraction. We warned and- about that. We said, like, don't worry. Who cares? He's not a Targaryen. Like, that's not going to matter. That That is not going to matter. And look. Maybe if you want to keep that theory alive because he withstood a full face full of dragon fire from Daenerys, go ahead. Maybe the prequel series will deal with that. Yeah, It doesn't matter on this show. Night King is the Darth Maul of Game of Thrones. That's a popular take. (laughs) Oh, that's that's, that's been said before? uh, I mean, he's got the horny head. Yeah. You know, he doesn't say much. uh, Amelia Clark. Yeah, that's right. Uh, (laughs) That's right. So, that's right okay uh look, looks cool uh you know th- that uh you can say like wait that was it that was it for him what uh so there you have but it. I, I like it so much and it's not even like i'm thinking like well that's gonna reveal that cersei is the big bad guy or daenerys is the is the is like the secret villain of the show i think the answer is more complicated than that i think the answer if they if they tell this story in a in like a nuanced way, which a lot of the history of Game of Thrones, you could you could argue it both ways that sometimes they're really good at nuance and sometimes they're not. But if they can tell it in a very artful, compelling way, I think the answer we will come to find out is we are the good guys and we are the bad guys. Yeah. We are both, you know, and and we are the good guys. We are the bad guys. Right. You know, and it's all our story. And you're always the hero of your own story and you're the villain of somebody else's mm-hmm. uh, and how they unravel those knots. I think uh, I'm I'm curious to see at the very least. I'm very, very much anticipated. Real quick. You were the first person I, I ever heard uh, float out that you thought Tyrion and Sansa could uh, end the series together. I feel like that the ball was moved a lot uh, in that direction in this episode. Are you uh, feeling that towards uh, the end of the series? Yeah, that was, again, Brendan of House Fitzy had written in and said, are we back to shipping Tyrion and Sansa at the end? I think we are. Uh, and I think we are. I think we are. Mm-hmm. I don't. Th- I don't think it's going to be Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. I think I whiffed on that one. 
Uh, I don't think that I don't think that's a thing that's going to happen. Who's going to be Lord uh, Commander of the Night's Watch? Uh, that was like a really ridiculous thing that I pitched for Tyrion as a, as a possibility for at the end of his story. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I was, I think I was uh, pretty pretty tired at that point when I wrote that article. Right. Uh, uh, I don't, that's a that's a hard no. Can we that's disband the Night's Watch? I mean, what are they watching for at this point? Well, I mean. If you want to bring in a voicemail to close this thing out, I think that there there is <laughs> there's one thing that might be worth chewing on uh, as we're saying say goodbye to like the Night King and everything. But let's pull in uh, just a, a final episode closing voicemail from your neighbor, Rainbow. Hey, guys, it's a Rainbow Rob's neighbor here. OK, I had just a crazy idea brainstorming with a friend from work. But OK, so we know that the Night King could um, revive the dead. He could bring the dead up with his, you know, spooky disco hands. And then also he could, you know, he could touch the dead and it'd even be more special, like, um, the dragon. But this is the thing. Remember, um, Craster's babies, they were alive. So it's like, I was always wondering where, you know, where's the toddler daycare for Craster's babies? Like who's raising them up? And I don't know, are they instantly 45 years old with long hair all of a sudden? But so, he would presumably touch them while they were alive. So then after he's dead and everybody that's dead is dead, are the babies like going to be alive again? Did we forget about the babies? Are we ever going to go back to the babies or are the babies going to still be like white walkery and it's going to be like, dun, 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 you know, so what do you guys think? Love you so much. Thank you for helping me uh, distract myself from real life. Um, bye. Don't right. forget Wiggler. I've got ninety nine <laughs> sons. What if at the, the end of the day? Of what if at the end of it all, freaking Craster was responsible for the continuation of the Night King? Craster what is if, a Zoran High? Do you think seriously? Like, do you think that there is any way that what could happen next is we see? Uh, the White Walkers have been destroyed. The army of the dead is done. Humanity goes back to its own infighting, tears each other apart, no matter whose skeleton is sitting on the Iron Throne. And we find out at the very end of it or close to that all along, far, far, far north beyond what's left of the wall, these very different kinds of creatures that the Night King started to cultivate still exist and this threat of this existential dead is actually still out there and one day will have to be confronted is it possible that the night king's legacy will still be intact by the end of game of thrones they forgot to kill all the younglings you know um, i don't know I that we need to like seriously I, I, I chew on it not, but. because uh, unless you know based on the origin story that we have gotten on the night king and this is where we're getting into a uh, dangerous territory of trying to uh explain mythology but when the children of the forest created uh, the uh the night king did they create other people to be the soldiers of uh the night king to create the the white walkers uh that i I was under the belief that then the Night King then got more babies and turned them into White Walkers. And then uh, we have no also- idea. We have no idea, man. We have no because idea. Those guys, we have no ex- idea. those guys all exploded when the Night King uh, exploded. So I have to think that every single person that the Night King made into a White Walker also then exploded. Yeah, we have no idea. We have no idea. Uh, but I, I think it's 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 not completely off the table for me that we could have like the ending of Game of Thrones 
could be like like a page out of The Shining. And like we're now like, like, like we're panning through the veritable Overlook Hotel and we zoom in on the picture. And Jack Nicholson has been there the whole time. He was always there. He was always part of the staff. Uh, oh, and no play makes Christian, yeah. no boy. <laughs> you know, and we go beyond the wall. We go back to the frozen fortress. And there are these, you know, these young creatures of the dead beyond the wall. And the idea is that this will always be out there. I don't think is unreasonable, uh, but I, I don't think it'll be the main driving point by any stretch of the imagination. But I'd bet uh, against you know, it. I'd, I, I would probably like if it was like a gun to my head type of deal, I would I would say no. Uh, but to just float it out there, I think to think about as a possibility, let's just do it in case we want to replay this segment of the podcast in a few weeks. Okay. All right. Well, Josh, we covered uh, a ton of ground here today. Uh, We've got some uh, some death draft updates. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. What do we got? Uh, you scored a point this week, and I scored two. Okay. Uh, you, uh, Would you have Dol- Dolores said? No, I did. I, neither of us took Dolores Ed. This is a pretty easy pick to die in this episode. Mm. Uh, Beric Dondarian was my first official pick off the board right now. Uh, you got Theon Greyjoy, R.I.P. Uh, and uh, I got the Night King. Halfway into the season, I got okay. the Night King. Okay, there you go. Uh, well, yeah, we should got more points for the earlier in the season. Uh, just uh, Who's still out there on our death draft? So you still have Jon Snow and Varys. Uh, those those two characters have to die for you to score two additional points, mm-hmm. and Arya Stark has to die for me to score uh, an additional and point. And yeah, you're as just as convinced as ever that Arya is. Uh, I think I'm gonna. gonna I think it. I'm gonna get them all. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have this. That's the big one. That's the big one that you've been saying for uh, for a long time, and I still think she. I think she's gonna make it. I hope I'm wrong. I, I don't want to watch Arya Stark die. I love that Arya Stark is like living her best life right now is freaking great. That would be my preference is for her to be able to continue doing that. Uh, but I I think like the game bowl is still going to happen. Uh, the hound versus the mountain is going to have to happen in some capacity. So the hound is going to have to get to King's Landing. How is the hound going to be convinced to go to King's Landing? Maybe Arya Stark, who's like super buying into her own hype, having killed the Night King. is like, well, I've got one other ambitious name to cross off my list. I have to go kill Cersei Lannister. And the hound's like, well, I'm not going to let you go alone. And the two of them are going to go. And Arya goes and tries to kill Cersei and ends up going up against the mountain. And the mountain either kills or is challenging Arya so severely that the hound is going to have to step in certainly wouldn't be the first young woman to go up against a giant this season that's been established on the show r.i.p liana mormont uh so i feel like the the way in which a scenario like this where Arya doesn't make it out of your life plays out uh it, it feels like there's a lot of a lot of that roadmap uh you can you can chart that stuff so can, can you update we'll our who is definitely not going to die draft yeah, we have uh, nobody has died from that yet. Okay. Uh, so so the I, I have the people who I think will survive Game of Thrones as I drafted them are Sansa, Gendry and Samwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Tyrion, Daenerys and Davos Seaworth. Uh, I think uh, Daenerys could go either way. Uh, yeah. 
Okay. All right. Thanks, took, took some big swings. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it here for our feedback show. Be sure to follow everything else that Josh is doing over at THR.com slash Game of Thrones. Steven and I will be back live again after Sunday night's uh, episode of Game of Thrones here on the Snow Dolls. Make sure you subscribe to uh, Post Show Recaps for everything. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes or uh, postshowrecaps.com slash GOT iTunes, but there's only going to be a couple of Game of Thrones podcasts left, so you might as well get on board Post Show Recaps main feed. Yes. Please do all of those things. All right. Uh, I'm at Rob Sestrino. Josh, anything else? Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.